Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 93, Victorian England Comes Alive, an interview with Joanna Davidson Politano, coming to you on Thursday, August 16th, 2018. I just finished interviewing Joanna, and it was so interesting to talk to her about how she started writing the particular books that we've been talking about and the things that she learned during research, which will really be an interesting thing for you to consider about and how it relates to your writing life. It's definitely got me thinking about how some of her research is related to my writing life. And for everybody who's been interested in what I've been talking about having to do with burnout and how I've been trying to get through it, heal from it, get onto the other side, that sort of thing. I really want you to pay attention to the second half of the interview where we start talking about uh, some of this research that Joanna's done and how it has changed her life a little bit and how I start talking about, hmm, I can see how that could change my life a little bit, maybe a lot if I let it. So uh, give some consideration to what we talk about there. I'm just going to let you listen and and, uh, see where we're going with our thoughts. I don't want to say too much because I want you to see your own life and your own struggles that you have and how those might end up uh, getting better, easier, um, maybe harder and then easier. I think that there's some really interesting things here that we can all think about to make our lives better. Joanna also, of course, is talking to us with um, what she is um, going through as a writer, tips for writers, uh, how she wrote uh, parts of Lady Jane Disappears, her first book, and the book that just came out, um, July 31st, A Rumored Fortune, both of which are historical romance set in Victorian England, and really, really, really good books. Um, I I just finished reading A Rumored Fortune, and um, now after talking to her, I really want to also read Lady Jane Disappears. So I will stop talking and let you listen to Joanna. Um, We do a little bit of moving around because um, we were about ready to lose some computer battery, and and she's got a couple of kids. She needed to be careful that um, they weren't calling out her name from their beds as they were waking up while we talked. But uh, hopefully you'll enjoy everything that we had to say and not think that it went too quickly. Uh, Joanna sounds like a really fun and interesting person to have a much longer conversation with. So maybe we'll have her on again. All right. Well, here you go. I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is Joanna Davidson Palatano. Joanna is the award-winning author of Lady Jane Disappears and her new historical romance, A Rumored Fortune. She freelances for a small nonfiction publisher, but spends much of her time spinning tales that capture the colorful, exquisite details in ordinary lives. She is always on the hunt for random acts of kindness, people willing to share their deepest secrets with a stranger and hidden stashes of sweets. She lives with her husband and their two babies in a house in the woods near Lake Michigan. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm super excited to to have someone who's from the Midwest with me since I'm a Midwesterner as well. I'm looking at the woods in the background on the YouTube portion of the podcast and just thinking, oh my gosh, I kind of wish I was sitting right there on your porch with you. It would be wonderful to invite you over for tea if you live a little closer. (laughs) Maybe another time we can do that when I'm visiting relatives. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Oh, so speaking of family, I just have to jump into the part that really uh, pulled me into your story even more. And what I mean is your, your personal story even more than the book. So when I was reading your press release, it said that one of the things that you used was for the hero of a rumored fortune, you actually kind of based it somewhat on your husband. Is that right? And tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, yes. Um, so I based it a little bit on the dynamic of our romance, which started out uh, not, not really being much of a romance at all. Uh, we went on a first date, and it was the first time we had met, and I did not care for him <laughs> at all. It, it was just, it was not, it was an easy no. A lot of times I have a hard time making a decision. This was an easy no. <laughs> and uh, I was anxious to get out of that dinner, and... Uh, I told him no to a second date very clearly. <laughs> and five years later, we got married. <laughs> oh, my. So um, there was a lot of um, built-in tension and conflict that worked well in a novel. And uh, the best part about writing it was that right now we're in the throes of young kid parenthood. We have a two- and four-year-old. And so I got to relive my falling in love with my husband. And, you know, when you kind of get lost in the chaos of everyday life um, as a young married, you, you sometimes can lose sight of exactly why you married the person. And it's not like the relationship goes bad, but it just, you, you, you spend your time putting out the fires and attending to the urgence. And that, that relationship just kind of becomes practical. And so I got to spend a year digging through exactly why I fell in love with my husband. And having this heroine fall in love with the hero in the same way. And finding out the same things about him and peeling back the layers of his personality in the same way. And it, it just did so much good for my heart. And I know that it was, um, it was a blessing from God. Wow. Oh, that is beautiful. I love it. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about Donegan Vance. And, and who came into your mind first, the character of the hero or the hero in A Rumored Fortune? Um, actually, the hero did because um, the mystery novel that I paired it with is based on a love or based on a, a real story that that kind of coincides with my romance. So I had to put them together, and that heroine work or that hero worked for that story. Um, when I came up with him, he was just so um, specific of a character that it was really easy to write him. He's very opinionated and outspoken and fun. <laughs> Um, so he can turn people off in an initial meeting, um, but when you peel back the layers, there's actually like an incredible gem inside, uh, inside all that bluntness. Aww. Oh, that is so sweet. Well, that's definitely um, what I noticed about Donegan Vance. And um, you know what? The heroine's name is just um, running outside of my mind now because now I'm thinking about Joanna, the person who had the love story. What's the heroine's <laughs> name again? Her name is Tressa. Tressa, right, right, yes. Okay, so Tressa and Donegan, they have the most interesting, it's not even really a friendship at first, is it? No, it's a forced partnership because uh, she owns these vineyards and he comes to manage them. And these vineyards are very personal to her because they belong to her father who had just died. And they were like his baby. And so he comes sweeping in and starts thrashing away at the vines and cutting them up and she just goes wild and then of course 
she needs him to help find her father's fortune that's missing because all the, the journal entries that are clues are written in Welsh, her father's native language. And he is from Cornwall, so he understands the language enough because they're similar enough. So she needs him, unfortunately for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as it turns out, and tell me, I, I assume based on, so I read a lot of Regency and Victorian romances just because... I don't know. They're fun, but I have no interest ever, ever in doing the kind of research involved, uh, you know, to, to write something like that. So I've never done really any research on the realities of life in that period. But one of the other interesting things about the story is that um, all of her relatives come calling when dad dies and they just kind of move in with no end date, which as someone who is always counting how many days that I'm going to be happy to have company around, I'm just wondering, this is, a, this is apparently a normal way of life in this period of time? Um, to a degree. Um, not everyone moved in with their relatives to grieve with them, but because it was a widow and a daughter that needed you know, taken care of, I think sure. they kind of saw it as their place to stay long-term and help. And often in the country houses, people did come for a long visit and just park and yeah. just be there. So um, I kind of just imagined that that was the dynamic that would have showed up. Right. Well, it certainly works for uh, this kind of treasure hunt that's going through the, uh, I, I don't know if it's the, 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 four story or the back, um, the, the secondary story of the book, the way that you weave it together, it all kind of comes together so beautifully that thank you. I don't, <laughs> I don't think about it as like a contemporary romance where you can see, you know, here's the romance plot and it's the main plot and behind it is, you know, the secondary plot of what's happening in the, the live of each individual person and how they come together. Your book has the most beautiful, almost um, literary feel to it. Is this your normal writing style? It is. Um, every time I've written nonfiction and any other type of thing, that's pretty much been my style. I wrote for a pharmaceutical company for a long time and it was very dry. Um, so I think this kind of just came out in contrast. <laughs> nice. Now, I don't know how you describe your voice. Writers are always talking about, you know, how to find your writer's voice, um, whether or not you want to tweak it or change it, whether or not you have a different writer's voice for different genres. New writers are trying to figure out how do they find their voice. So I don't know how you describe yours, but I hadn't read anything like your writing style in so long that the only thing that kind of came to mind as I was trying to figure out how will I describe this when I start talking about it is it kind of had, uh, and because of the mystery type elements, it made me feel like there was sort of a gothic feel to it. Is that a way that you would describe it or what do you think? Yeah, yeah. a lot of people have called it a gothic Victorian romance, kind of like a Victoria Holt um, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I love Daphne du Maurier. She's one of my favorites. So I think it has that kind of flair, um, kind of atmospheric, um, because I love settings that play into the plot a little bit and almost act as a character and just give you a sense of the tone of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And that was another thing that I really liked is that... Um there was a, a feeling that I had when I was in the house. There was a different feeling that I had when a girl, uh, not a girl, a, a young woman um, of her station in life 
in a place like this, in this time period, running barefoot through a vineyard. I mean, that just in itself shows that she is a totally different kind of independent woman from, from the normal times. And, and when she was in the boat, um, all these different places gave me these different feelings of what was happening in the story, which I thought was really cool. Well, the barefoot thing would have actually been very uncommon because uh, Victorians were very afraid of catching their death of cold or anything, you know, being outdoors without enough wraps or things like that. So she was definitely outside the norm. And uh, some people may uh, think that she really didn't even fit in the period that I wrote her in. But she was just, I mean, she painted without canvases. She, you know, she's just an unusual person, I think. Yeah, that was another thing that I really thought was cool. Um, it, it's totally unrelated genre-wise, but it reminded me of the the character in Fifty First States who would just paint these massive wall-sized murals, and um, apparently without any particular rhyme or reason. And and that was sort of what it reminded me of: is that she just put her paintbrush on the wall or the ceiling and just started going. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm a planner as a writer. I would need to have like pencil, pencil sketches for her to figure out where I was going. Um, well, what that kind of what inspired me was reading Emily of New Moon, I think it is, by Ella Montgomery. that book. Um, Sorry, and- I just totally talked over top of you. I love that no, no, book. No, you're fine. <laughs> Those are wonderful books. I, I love that whole series. Um, and just the way that the writing pours out of her, like she cannot help it. And it just goes wherever it can go. And so that, that kind of like, that color and that art that just kind of pours out of you. Um, I was always inspired by that character. Um, so I guess that kind of fed into it a little bit. Oh, now you're making me think I need to go back and reread Emily of New Moon again. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, just as an aside, that particular book, like book one of that series, and not Anne of Green Gables before it, but particularly Emily, she is the reason why I even try to control my exclamation mark problem. <laughs> Do you remember her teacher? And oh, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's my favorite writing. I don't know, fictional writer, I guess. Yeah, Hello. yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's very cool. Well, listen, <clears throat> pardon me, I caught a cold on the way back from RWA, so uh, my, my voice is a little rough, but um, one of the other things that I was wondering about, and I maybe just haven't paid that much attention to uh, other similar books that I've read because I wasn't interviewing the author soon, but I was really paying attention to kind of the mystery elements of your story and wondering, again, is this something that you normally do? Because I'm not sure that I see that many um, kind of mystery elements in a historical romance that isn't specifically meant to be like a romantic mystery, romantic suspense type story. Right. Well, you know, when I, when I look at the books that I read, what draws me in is the combination of the chemistry between different characters and some sort of unanswered question. And I don't know if I could write a book without a little bit of mystery. All of my books have had that. I'm plotting my fourth one now and they all have it. That's, <laughs> That's part awesome. of, you know, when I sat down to write Lady Jane, it was not, I didn't intend to publish it. It was just for fun. And what came out the strongest was the mystery element. 
what I had the most fun with and what drew me back to it every day was that mystery element. You know, this is a really good time to ask you a question for listeners out there who are maybe struggling with the first book or, um, you know, just writers at whatever stage in their career. The way that you found your voice, the way that you decided what to write, the fact that you wrote for yourself and for fun for the first book, and that became an award-winning traditionally published book. What are some things that you love to share with your writer friends as encouragement and help to them? Uh, well, the first thing is about finding your writing voice. There's a book that I think Bill Hybels or somebody wrote that says, who are you when no one's looking? And I think that's the way to find your most natural voice is just write as a thing that you do that's like for fun. It's, it's maybe just like a, an ongoing conversation between you and God. And it's just, you know, if nobody else reads it, great. It's, it's, it's a time you can experience God. And if, you know, other readers want to read over your shoulder when you're done, that's fun. But, um, you know, I wrote for several years before Lady Jane, um, and I had other books, and I was trying to get published. And, um, you know, I think it, it finaled in some awards and things like that, and I submitted it a few places, got no callbacks, nothing. And then it was when I was just like, I'm going to stop for a while. I had my first baby, and I was like, obviously I'm supposed to raise my family right now. And publishing can be set aside. And then in my newborn daughter's four-hour-long nap, <laughs> it's kind of like a germ of an idea. And I just sat down and just started writing with no intentions, no plots, no nothing. And it was a different style, a different voice, and it was so much more natural. And I just wrote what I would, what I wanted to write without regard to genre or anything. And... Uh, it was just a really fun, intimate time with God to kind of unpack different things and um, just have fun on the page. And that was the novel that ended up working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I have to say that um, uh, from my own personal experience, I've also found that the books that really kind of shine brightest are the ones where I was just having the most fun for myself in that first draft, just really wanting to enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think when the writer enjoys it, the reader enjoys it too. Yes. And you know what? Writing books actually say that. And I think it's important that we try to remember it. <laughs> yeah. It took a while to stop caring what people thought and to let people invisibly read over my shoulder as I was writing and let their opinions filter in. And I just, you know, I had to kind of put all that aside. Yeah. And nothing works better than doing a practice book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking of, um, I was just uh, at RWA two weeks ago, and um, there's been a lot of moving, a lot of stuff going on in my life. And so it's probably been, I figured it's been at least 12 months minimum since I actually wrote new words about anything. Um, uh -huh. Just between all the things. And so when we were at RWA, they had these writing sprint times in the early morning and then the, the uh, evening kind of dinner time area. And my husband and I went to them. And because I was just trying to really get out of sort of this bad place and this place of having not written in which the longer you don't write, the more it erodes your self-confidence. Oh, sure. Right? And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to write anything I want. I'm going to write to just 
make myself laugh because that's, I like writing humor and I really wanted to just make myself laugh. And I wrote like some ridiculous number of words in an hour, like more words than I think I've ever written in a one hour time frame, which just blew me away. And I bet people would love reading them too. I mean, I bet those are the words that people would just delight in. I have to say that now it's kind of got the juices flowing again and I'm like, oh man, you know how that you have moments when you're like, okay, I don't want anybody to read this yet, but I don't know about you at the very, very beginning of a book that's, that just started out really well. I like immediately want to send my first draft to like four or five friends and my editor. And I'm like, I just want to know if you're laughing as hard as I am while I'm writing. That sounds like it's going wonderfully. And, and of course, now that I'm, um, you know, back in uh, real life and not in writer's conference life, I'm like, okay, you know what, this, this book from a business perspective really is not on the calendar right now. I need to do a couple other books first, but I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll just work on it a little bit on a Saturday or something. <laughs> oh. So are you working on another historical romance? Um, I don't know what you'd call it for genre, because um, sometimes the romance isn't the primary thread. Right. So, I don't know. I'm working on a Victorian-era historicals with mystery and romance in them. Okay. I like it. It sounds like, I mean, those are the, the words that describe your other books, too, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we've moved inside. We've got the computer plugged in. We still have a few minutes before the kids wake up. So uh, let me just ask you a couple other questions. I noticed, and I think this is about your first book, was a Romantic Times top pick book review, which is huge. Like people everywhere are always looking for a starred review, a, a top pick review. So this was for Lady Jane, uh, Lady Jane Disappears, right? Yes, it was quite a shock to me. <laughs> I bet. I mean, how exciting. And, and now, so here's my crazy question that you may or may not have any ideas on, uh, particularly okay. because it was your first published book. But I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for authors who are um, yeah, having like great book reviews like that as one of their goals that they have for their writing career? Like, um, how, do, how do you write an award-winning book just to put you on the spot entirely? <laughs> Uh, by accident, I think. <laughs> um, I think people really want to feel something. Um, and, and the way that the readers are going to feel something is if the writer feels something. Um, you have to kind of mind the depths of your heart and soul a little bit and be authentic um, and be different. I think people are always looking for something that's surprising to them, something that's a little fresh and unusual. Um, so when they find that, you know, even if the writing is good in a lot of books that are very similar, the one that's different is going to be the one that they slap the award on, I think. Yeah, because it stands out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it gets their mind going in a different direction instead of the same, the same roads. Yeah, which probably comes back around to the fact that you just said a minute ago that this particular book you wrote for yourself just to enjoy the storytelling telling that you have inside your head? Yes, it was never intended for publication. I didn't even know if it would be a short story or a novel or what genre it would be. Um, normally when I set out, I have, you know, specific genre rules kind of roughed in my head. 
um, like, you know, this, they have to meet by this page and the mystery has to, you know, there has to be a, a dead body if it's going to be a mystery. And, um, I kind of threw all that out and, um, just decided to have fun no matter what came of it. Cause you know, publication was another 10 years in the future as far as right. I concerned, when my kids were a little older. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. I honestly really think that that is great advice for all of us. I mean, it may or may not work out. It, the thing is, there is no prescription and there's not even really a recipe that will always create the same, uh, the same effect. Even, honestly, even Nestle Toll House cookies, I don't understand how that recipe can um, give flat, nice, chewy, but flat cookies when I make them, but big, thick, hard cookies when my other friend makes them. I'm like, okay, neither one of them look like the picture on the package and we're using the exact same recipe. So I always think that it's good to remember that a recipe is not uh, any kind of a uh, guarantee that things are going to turn out in a certain way. But there are things that do tend to work better when you're cooking or baking or when you're writing. And I, I personally agree with you that writing the things that make you happy, that make you scared or laugh out loud will really have an effect on the reader. Absolutely. Um, it seems like the things that, that resonated with me resonated with other people who have written to me and said, you know, oh, I love this part or this part made me laugh or, you know, things like that. And it's yeah. kind of fun to find kindred spirits all across the world, people who resonate with the things that you uh, opened up about. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that reminds me of something else when I was reading the, the book and um, the heroine Tressa was trying to learn more about uh, how to keep up her father's vineyards and make sure that they were going to grow strong. And between um, her, her opinions of what her father was doing and Donegan Vance's opinions about what he thought should be done and their differences, it was really interesting how she started using what she was learning about vineyards to ask herself, what in the world is happening with my life? Like your book happens to be a, a Christian historical romance, right? Yes. Um, the vineyard research was very interesting. As I unpacked and learned more about vines and the way they work, um, it, it just, it gave me a greater understanding for the biblical passages that have vineyards in them. And just, I guess, the depth of what was meant by all those passages. But it just gave me a greater understanding for how life works, because the vineyards, um, they go through a lot of the same things. They have dry spells and things like that. Um, and they have sap that flows through them, and that's their life. Their life-giving, like our blood, um, it carries everything they need. Um, so when you when you cut off that that flow of that sap, it greatly impacts them. And you know you prune so the sap can have a straighter path, things like that. Um, just as I I understood the way vineyards worked, it was it was so fascinating um, just to think about the the implications in life. Yeah. Yeah, I remember somebody said um, once to me, well, I don't know if it was to me in particular, but I remember uh, listening to a conversation on roses, and my middle name is Rose. I was named after my grandmother, Rose, and her husband, my grandfather, planted like 52 varieties of roses in their yard for her. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. So I've always been interested in roses and how they grow and how to make them, you know, beautiful and get the ones that smell really good. And I remember the most shocking thing, oh, I know, is my neighbor. She was out pruning a rose bush and she said um, the best advice that she had gotten was 
you have to prune your rose bushes in the autumn as if you hate them and you're <laughs> like your worst enemy. Oh, sure. Um, the funny thing about grape vineyards is that they prune off grapes that would come to fruition um, because the most important thing is the, the branch connecting to that vine. And if there are too many grapes, which are normally the end goal, weighing it down, they got to go. And, really? Yeah. And so it's counterintuitive in some ways. And when, when you prune a vineyard plant, you take off almost everything that's there when you prune it down for the winter. Um, you take off everything except usually they have uh, the one, the main plant, and then two um, branches coming off the side that are wrapped around guide wires. Everything else goes. Oh my goodness. You know, okay, so now you've got me thinking. I also teach a time management class for writers, and we're always trying to figure out, you know, how to get everything done. There's all the marketing and social media stuff that we need to do, and the blogging and the you know, right, making sure we have a, a few chapters of the next book so they can put it at the end of the current book. And I mean, there's right. no end to the amount of work that needs to be done, no matter how you're published. And it's interesting, the, the way that you just described the vineyards, I mean, imagine if we could find some way to actually make our lives similar to that, like in some sort of seasonal way, not necessarily, you know, once a year, but there are other kinds of seasons, like every seven years, sometimes um, you'll hear about um, six years with a field and then one year of letting right. it go fallow. But I was just thinking, imagine if every little while we could cut back everything in our lives to just, you know, the two main most important things. And then yes. so it, you got me thinking, Joanna. It causes you to evaluate what's the strongest because you have to look at the branches and pick which ones. And sometimes you take off the really big, thick ones or the big producing ones. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, you have to pick the ones that you think are going to bend to the guide wire um, because you have to bend them against their will as they're snapping and popping. But the ones that grow up towards the sun really, really high and get all these grapes sometimes have to be taken off because they simply won't bend to the guide wire. And the guide wire will save their life during the bad weather. Um, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. It, it was fascinating to research these vineyards. And I live in a vineyard area, so I got to go see what they look like. And I got to see the ones that were working and the ones that were let go and the difference that it made because... I mean, all you have to do for a vine uh, to become worthless is nothing. You just do nothing, and there it goes, on it, like left to itself. Um, and the other thing I learned was just you have to be willing to take away things that are good, things that are beneficial, things that are useful or noble or whatever, um, so that the things that you are left with are more effective and work because you can't spread yourself in 50 directions. Yeah. In the same way, there's only a limited amount of sap in a, a vineyard. And so it, it has to reach the vines and the leaves. But if you've got 50 branches, you're going to get a trickle and you're going to have all these branches that are in survival mode instead right. of the branches that are thriving grapes that are mature and sweet. Um, so it's, it's a choice. And that's the secret of pruning really. Wow. So when you learned all this and you wrote it so well into the story, it was just so natural. Um, I, I was fascinated every time she started thinking about it, but it didn't come off like, oh, this is where the author researched something. But 
But once you did all that, <laughs> once you did all that research, do you think that it's affected your personal life? Oh, yes. Um, as I was writing this book, um, I was like the vineyard with 50 branches because I actually, I got the contract and started, got the topic when my son was born, the week he was born. And oh. he was my second child. So I had a two-year-old and a newborn and I wasn't sleeping, you know, newborn stuff. And yeah. I only write during their nap times or when they're sleeping, um, which sometimes was 10 minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing that, trying to keep house, keeping a ministry going at my church, keeping up with friends, um, and just learning how to promote, because this was my very first contract. Um, and my, my first book was in the process of releasing. And so I was spread all over the place. And I had to pare it down. I had to figure out where I wanted the life, the sap to flow and focus on it and take a lot of other things away. Uh, it made me look at my priorities. It made me um, just evaluate the effectiveness of different things and the worth of things and what my end goal was. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? <clears throat> I've been talking about burnout the last few months on the podcast because lo and behold, who knew that you could work so hard that you could get burned out? Oh, it's sure. something that happens to other people, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but now you've got me really thinking and I think that um, I really hope listeners are really listening to what you're talking about because in my mind, my, my mind is already churning. Like what do I need to change in my personal life, you know, so that I can grow really great something instead of a whole bunch of things that aren't really working any of them. Yes. One thing that was great advice that somebody gave me, I think it was in a book I even read, I'm not sure, uh, is to pick one thing. And that is exactly one thing you will get done every single day, no matter what it is. Um, you'll be surprised how your day shifts and focuses and your schedule adapts to make sure that one thing happens. Whether it's um, you wash your bathroom every single day so that you start with a clean bathroom, whether it's exercising, um, whatever it is, you pick that one thing and everything else can fall away and not get done. Um, but that one thing's got to happen for me. That's my God time. Yeah. And it took me until I think the age of 25 to realize that that was my one thing, that everything else needed to revolve around. If I have to get up at four in the morning, if I have to skip certain things, if I have to go to bed earlier, whatever it takes, that's got to happen. And instead wow. of a to-do list with 50 things that you have to get done, get that one thing done. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is very cool. I like it. You got my brain just thinking away because I'm thinking here, well, wait a minute. No, I, I need to exercise and read my Bible and do some writing. And, and then I'm like, wait a minute, that's already more than two things. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing though. When you focus on that one thing or, you know, in the case of vineyards, there's two branches things fall into place. It's, it's just, yeah. I can't explain how it happens, but it does. I mean, wow. I still have two young kids. Um, I'm putting out books and doing, I'm very involved in lots of things in the community. And yeah. there are a lot of things that I don't get to do, but I feel so much like I'm living well. Like wow. I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm not, I don't have the sense of urgency or scarcity um, or dryness. It's, it's like the things that are important and that bring me life are in my life. Does that make sense? 
That is awesome. I love it. It took a while to get there. Unfortunately, I have a, a thick head. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I wonder too, if sometimes it's just a matter of, um, and, and I, call, I call them like, you know, God things or God stories, you know, where it just so happens that you accidentally wrote a book about vineyards and had to do research. Hmm. <laughs> well, it was something that I really felt was the right book to do next. It was something that I felt God was asking me to do. I had yeah. signed a contract for Lady Jane Disappears and two books to be determined. And the publisher had two, a, a few ideas that they were working from, and they actually had another book in mind they wanted me to do first. And they said, no, I really, really want to do this book. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I, I didn't have a very good idea of the plot. And it felt overwhelming, but I really knew that was the one that needed to happen. So I got to live through my romance with my husband at the time I needed it. And I got to learn about pruning when I needed it. <laughs> oh, man. And you know what? Um, so I, I've mentioned to people, I'm a Christian. This isn't a Christian podcast. Um, there's all so sorts of people who listen. But, um, but I can only talk about things through the, through the glasses through which I see the world. And sure. I have to say that regardless of what a person believes or doesn't believe about God, there is nothing that um, can show that life in some way, and, you know, I say that it's God because he loves us, is helping us. There's always something in life that is teaching us a better way to live and to live more peacefully and more abundantly. Two of the biggest things that Jesus preached about. And, and I just love when people find okay, this, this thing happened and maybe it was an accident or a coincidence or maybe it was God, but my life is better because of this and now it's got me thinking about it. And I think that's just a beautiful thing. Sure. Oftentimes adversity and challenges cause us to, to also kind of reevaluate because you, you kind of hit a fork in the road and you're forced to look at things and decide. And yeah, yeah. I guess. A, a very overwhelming life was what did it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing um, what fabulous things I learned this year and what kind of, oh, I don't want any more pruning, but uh, but now I'm <laughs> going to have to look forward to, okay, what sort of grapes or whatever am I going to grow then this year? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, oh. interesting. When I saw the vineyards, there were some plants that were so full of grapes and they looked absolutely gorgeous, but when you tasted them, you spit them right out because they were so bitter because there were too many of them. And so the, the, um, the sap could not sweeten them effectively. Oh. Um, but the ones that were well cared for and pruned, um, even though the, the pruning is uh, tedious and it's a lot of work and, it, you know, I'm sure if it's related to a person, it's not fun to be pruned. Right. But the end result, I mean, maybe you have less fruit, but the fruit you have is so rich and so effective. Wow. And that's when people can really like impact their environment, you know, yeah. change their atmosphere when they have uh, grapes that are very full of life. Wow. Joanna, who knew that this would be such a philosophical discussion? I love it. <laughs> well, sorry to make it so... Uh, philosophical and, and deep. No, but. no, 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 honestly, because I'm thinking about all the people listening and how everybody is going to be hearing what you said, again, through their own lens and realizing, 
that it's the exact right thing that they needed to hear today, even though it will change us all in such individual and unique ways because we're in these individual and unique places in life. So thank you for, for sharing all that. Oh, thank you for asking about it. I, I, it's always a fun thing to talk about. Well, and an extra reason why uh, the research, you know, got, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like the asset got redistributed over and over again, not just into the one book. <laughs> oh, sure. uh, listen, I know your kids are going to wake up soon. So let's uh, ask you a little bit, um, what books are coming out? Where can people find you in your books? What can they expect? Where can they sign up maybe for a newsletter? Um, sure. On my website, which is jdpstories.com, the initials, Joanna Davidson Politano, are that website name. Um, you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter. I, I send it out about once a month. Um, I try to give some updates and just a little bit of life-giving things that I've found, um, deals and specials, giveaways, things like that. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I have an author page, which is just at my name, Joanna Davidson Politano. Okay. Um, my books are sold on all the regular places, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, indie books, things like that. Um, as far as what's coming up, I just turned a book into my publisher that I'm really excited about. It was so fun to write. There's a lot of beautiful tension in it. Um, and it's about a rags to riches. It's a, uh, uh, a rag vendor actually who, gets approached in the street and offered this amazing, amazing job at a country estate. And it doesn't make any sense to her and she can't understand why they're offering it to her. And it ends up being a completely unusual job. Um, and then she has a romance in it that is very book related. And I love that. Um, they have to not let on that they even know each other. So they communicate through books. Oh, wow. And I'm very excited about that romance. I love it very much. <laughs> and after that, I have a few other book ideas coming up. There will be a Victorian ballet story, um, a Victorian asylum story that delves into the history of music therapy. Wow. And um, then I also have a story about uh, an anonymous love letter that ends up in many different hands. And those are all set in Victorian England. And um, so the, the first one about the rags to riches is coming out next summer. Okay. And that's the only one that is for sure set right now. Okay. Does it have a uh, finalized title yet? It's called uh, Finding Lady Enderly. Excellent. So, and, finding, and Lady Enderly is the countess in the story that this rag girl actually um, switches places with. And that is the storyline. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I read uh, whatever was the excerpt at the end of A Rumored Fortune about yeah. this rags girl. And, and just the, the tiny part, you know, that was the excerpt I, in my head, I'm, I'm flying on an airplane and I'm kind of screaming at her in my head, wait, you, know, you could be killed. <laughs> you could be put in some sort of weird bondage slavery thing. Like, don't trust this guy. And yet I know. <laughs> whatever's going to happen. Like she's going with this guy who offered this job. Now I'm really even more intrigued. It was such a fun story to write. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It sounds wonderful. And that'll come out next summer. Yes. Uh, I think probably about the time that my second book released. So late July, early August. Excellent. And a rumored fortune just came out what this week or last week? 
Um, Tuesday, July 31st. Oh, nice. Now, actually, by the time um, everybody listens to this, it'll probably be mid-August, but so it's a brand new book. You should definitely go check it out. It's very well written and very um, beautifully and lyrically written as well. So I very much enjoyed it. I'm, I'm very honored that you read it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, listen, maybe we should talk again when your next book comes out. Oh, I love it. That'd be great. <laughs> Terrific. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>